All right. As they leave, I just want to share something with you really quick. Yesterday, I was thinking about, I was actually out driving, and it was, the, the roads were crazy busy. There were, there was, actually, it was the day before. There was traffic everywhere. People were driving like maniacs. And I had this overwhelming sense that that's what this season feels like for a lot of us, whether it's because of um, just busyness or whether it's pain or hardship that's going on in our lives. It feels chaotic, right? And it's the opposite of what Jesus brought to earth, which is peace and hope and joy. And so I just hope that as you sit here and you listen to this message, that you will let those things flood over you, that you will let the chaos of the crazy season, the busy season melt away, and you will let God's spirit just minister and speak into your soul, because I really believe he's going to do that. So if you would help me welcome the most handsome, best-looking Canadian preacher you've ever seen in your entire life to the stage, Christopher Daves. Wow, what an intro. What an intro. Get set up here. How's everybody doing? Some of you? Got your Christmas shopping done yet? Two of you. Excellent. Okay. You're not the mad throng that's been out there going crazy then. You've got a little ways to go. So we're in this series called Evergreen. This is the, the third installment of our three-part series, Evergreen. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how our God is evergreen, how he's always green, he's ever giving towards us. We talked about living the way that he created us in his image, in the image of the Father with heart wide open, with hands wide open. And then last week, Ryan talked about how our God is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He left his throne in heaven and came down to our level. He's evergreen. He's always with us. And this morning, I want to tie both of those thoughts together, that God is ever giving and that God is always with us. And I'm talking about what I'm calling this morning evergreen thinking, evergreen thinking. I'm talking about a different way of thinking, a different mindset, if you will. And this morning, I want to talk to you about abundance. I'd like to propose to you that no matter who you are here today, whether you walked here with bare feet or whether you rolled up in your $200,000 McLaren, whether you slept in a cardboard box last night on Jefferson, or whether you woke up on your Egyptian linen sheets in a 12,000 square foot mansion, or you're somewhere in between, that no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what you're facing in your life, if you love Jesus and you're his follower, I want to show you this morning that you have more than enough. Okay, we'll work on that. You have more than enough. You have abundance. Let's pray because I think we all need it. Jesus, we're so grateful to be in your presence here today with your people celebrating the gift of your son that you would leave your throne and wrap yourself in flesh and come down to this dirty, dusty ball called earth, all because you loved us so much, all to chase us down because of the relationship that you wanted to restore between heaven and earth. God, this morning we pray for breakthrough. In my life, in every single person's life that's here, that's listening on the podcast, we pray for breakthrough. 
Because, God, you need to break through into our hearts, into every dark corner and crevice of our lives. We want breakthrough. We don't want to just play church. We want to be the church. We don't come here just as a social gathering. We come here because you've commanded us to light up the darkness. And we know that your presence is here today because we carry your presence within us. So we say fear has no place here. Darkness has no place here. It must leave, not because of us, but because of the presence within us. And his name is Jesus. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, you awake now? All right. So when I was growing up, my mom used to make this salad. And maybe you've had some of these. It's called a seven-layer salad. Okay, anybody had one of those before? Okay, so seven different, seven different layers of some goodness, some like, I don't know, like water chestnuts, peas. But the point is when you eat it all together, it's good, or it's supposed to taste good. Terrible analogy, but this is like my message today, okay? There's going to be some things that don't taste good, but that's good. And at the end of my message, I hope this is encouraging to all of your hearts, okay? So I'm going to take some rabbit trails. We're going to get through these layers, but we got a lot of different stuff to cover. But just remember, taste and see the Lord is good at the end of the day, Amen. So because of what I'm preaching about today, about abundance, I need to clarify a couple things from the outset. See, there's two ways of thinking that are absolutely devastating to our lives as Christ followers. And we need to address these before we go any further. See, some people preach a poverty gospel. A poverty gospel says that your spirituality can be measured through your lack. That you should basically sell everything and live like a beggar. And the less you have, the better Christian you are. On the contrary, some people preach a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel says that your spirituality is measured through what you own. That the more you have, the better Christian you are. Now, both the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel are equally dangerous and not biblical at all. See, here's the thing. The kingdom of God addresses what? The heart. And then it works out from there. Jesus said in Luke 17 on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he said the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, but when that kingdom within you touches, has influence on the material world, things change. As as the kingdom within you touches your finances, touches your possessions, touches other people, things change. Not because of you, but because of who lives in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you do with your money and possessions is a byproduct of what is happening in here, in your heart. And if your hands are gripping onto something too tight, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus is going to ask you to release your grip, to live with heart wide open, hands wide open, just like he is. We're created in his image to always grip him first and foremost, to hold onto him over anything, anyone else. And we know that God is a good father. Who here has children? Who's planning to give your children a Christmas gift this year? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, see me afterwards. 
Of course you are. You love your children. You give them good gifts. The same with your Father in heaven. He gives you good gifts. He loves you so much. He gave you the greatest gift that you could ever receive. But see, the prescription that Jesus gives us always, always, always addresses the heart first. And that prescription can vary person to person. But what Jesus is doing is he's always addressing the root. He's always doing surgery on your heart. Remember the rich young ruler who approached Jesus? What did Jesus tell him to do? Told him to sell everything. That was his prescription to the rich young ruler because Jesus knew his grip was too tight on money and possessions that he wouldn't be able to hear anything else until he released that. What he was saying to the rich young ruler was, who are you going to put your trust in? Your stuff or me? He was addressing the rich young ruler's heart. So while Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything, he doesn't necessarily command everyone to do that. Does that make sense? But he does tell us to live with heart wide open and hands wide open. And if there's something that becomes a barrier between you and Jesus, then yes, you're going to need to remove that. Anything that you're holding on to other than Jesus is an idol in your life. I'd like to propose to you this morning a different way of thinking. The way Jesus teaches us, it's not the poverty gospel, it's not a prosperity gospel, but it's what I'm calling an abundance gospel. So let me explain. Let's get into the salad a little bit. In Matthew 20, right after the rich young ruler had encountered Jesus and walked away because he couldn't release his grip on his stuff, right after that, Jesus tells this parable to his disciples and whoever else was there listening. Matthew 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, a denarius, the payment for a full day's labor, and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. And at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, told them then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first, and those who are first will be last. This parable is incredible when you break it down. So imagine tomorrow you go into work. You're the first one there. You're, 
you are the hardest worker at your company. You get there an hour before you're supposed to be. You work all day. And about 9 o'clock in the morning, one of your coworkers stumbles in late. Okay? They surf the internet. They're doing some stuff. Then about 12 o'clock, HR walks over a new person that they've hired. 3 o'clock, they do the same thing. And they sit down in the cubicle next to you. And then with an hour to go, someone else comes in. Barely sits down, surfs the internet, does whatever, and then closing bell rings. And your boss says, hey, before you all leave, I'm going to pay you for today. Why don't you line up here? So you all line up. And he starts with the guy that came in at, with one hour to go. And you see, look over and you see him give them, this person, the same money that you're expecting for that full day, a full day's wage. And you're thinking, all right, all right, I'm going to get paid like triple, double, you know, at least double what he's getting because I was here the whole day. And then the, the boss goes down the line, he pays the next person the same amount, the person that got there at noon the same amount, the person that got there late at 9 o'clock the same amount. And you're like, what is going on? And he gets to you and he pays you the same day wage. He said, that's ridiculous. That's totally unfair. You're incensed. You've worked all day. You've worked your tail off. You know how much you've given to this company. In what world is this right? I'll tell you what world. In Jesus' world. That is the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. That's a part of the salad you don't really like. A few years ago, I remember dealing with something in my heart as I saw someone get something, get X, Y, and Z. And in my heart, I'm like, God, are you kidding me right now? Are you serious right now? I know how much effort and time I, I put in, and that person is getting this? Are you serious? It was a struggle for several weeks for me, maybe more. I'm, maybe you face the same thing. I'm sure if you, you're human, you have. And Jesus says, I love this. He says, should you be jealous because I am kind? Another translation says, or is your eye evil because I am good? Here's the thing, church. Can you and I celebrate someone else's breakthrough? Can we celebrate from our hearts someone else's success. See, Jesus will allow us to view his display of grace right in front of us to see if we will rejoice in here and outwardly or if we will be jealous. Jealousy will destroy your hearts. Should you and I be jealous because of the grace that, is God, that God is pouring out on others around us? See, God, what God is doing is he's testing your heart to see how much you can handle. Because listen to me, the deeper your root system goes, the higher the tree will grow, the more fruit will be produced. Like Ryan said last week, the deeper the foundation, the higher you can build the building. That's what God is doing in your heart. But how are you responding? We're talking about evergreen and giant sequoia trees. Did you know that in order to reproduce, giant sequoia trees, along with many other evergreen trees, must be exposed 
to the high temperatures of a forest fire in order to melt the wax that's in the, in the pine cones to release the seeds. And what happens is that fire sweeps along, it, it clears the brush, it clears the ground, making way for those seeds to fall down and germinate in the earth. And while lesser trees blaze around them, the giant sequoias remain virtually unscathed by the flames. They're remarkably fire-resistant. See, in order to reproduce, they need fire. I know you're not going to like to hear this, but in order for you to reproduce, you need fire. That's why the root system is so important. You want to be that giant sequoia tree, not some other scrawny tree that had just swept away with the forest fire. You want the fires that you face to release seeds within you, to multiply what God put there. That's what he's doing. And just like this parable, Jesus will allow someone who doesn't deserve it to get something that you've worked hard for and collect something what they don't deserve right in front of your face. Why? Because he's trying to release those seeds within you that will make the kingdom multiply. And until we can celebrate the grace that is poured out on others, we will never be able to recognize the extreme grace that has been given to you and I. See, poverty thinking and prosperity thinking start with the conversation of what you and I hold in our hands. Abundance thinking, catch this, abundance thinking starts with what he holds in his hands. John 1.16, I'm going to hang the entire message on this verse. From his abundance, we have received one gracious blessing after another. From his abundance, we have received grace upon grace. The Amplified Version says this, For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. That's what you have in Jesus. But you live in a culture, you live in a society that feeds on jealousy. We are bombarded with conscious and subconscious messaging all day long to obsess with collecting and hoarding treasures here on earth. And no, there's nothing wrong with having stuff, but when the stuff controls you, when your hands are gripped on the stuff too tightly, then it's a massive problem. When you're focused on the gifts instead of the giver, it's a massive problem. Last Sunday, a friend of mine and I were, right after church, we were discussing um, this series of Evergreen, and I was telling him a little bit about what I was preaching on today. And he told me a few years ago during their job transition that they were living with their in-laws, so they had to put all of their possessions, thousands and thousands of dollars worth, in a self-storage unit. Well, during that time period, we had significant rain, and they went back in to get their possessions after whatever time they had lived with the in-laws. And absolutely everything was covered in mold. Completely ruined. Thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff. And he told me it was a huge reminder to him that what we are given here on earth is temporary. To not hold on too tightly. Let me ask you, where are you storing up your treasure? 
Jesus asks us this in Matthew 6. He says, do not store up for yourselves material treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money possessions, fame, status, or whatever you value more than the Lord. Did you know the self-storage industry in the U.S. is a $27 billion industry? 27 with a B, billion, annually. Self-storage is a crazy concept when you think about it, right? You're paying a monthly fee to store stuff that you won't see or use in months or even years. Now, obviously, there's legitimate reasons for using self-storage, but I'm talking here about the excess that we have in this country. 65% of self-storage renters have a garage in their home. 47% have an attic, and 33% have a basement. I'd wage that those are all full as well. 50% of self-storage renters are simply storing what won't fit in their homes, even though the average size of the American home has almost doubled in the last 50 years. If you put every American in a self-storage unit, you would have 7.3 square feet of space for every single person, man, woman, child in this country. That's ridiculous. In 2015, 90% of self-storage units were occupied, leaving only 10% vacant. We are obsessed with things that we will never see again. We are hoarders. We are burying what we have been entrusted with. Didn't, didn't somebody say something about that? Like Jesus said something about, remember the parable of the talents? Jesus told this parable about this um, man that was going on a long trip and he called his three servants together and he entrusted money to them while he was gone. To the first he gave five bags of silver two bags to the second one, and one bag to the last. When the man returned from his trip, the servant who had been given five bags of silver had earned five more bags. The servant who had been given two bags had put his money to work and had earned two more bags. But if you remember, the servant who had been given one bag of silver dug a hole and buried it. To the first two servants, the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's pretty awesome. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master said, You wicked and lazy servant. At the very least, why didn't you deposit it in the bank? At least you could have got some interest on it. And then he took the one bag of silver from that servant, and he gave it to the one who had produced ten. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. They will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And I'm afraid then each of our lives, we're burying something that we've been given. What have you been entrusted with? 
your time, your talents, your treasure, whatever it is. God has entrusted you with multiple things. But is it out back in the yard, buried? Or is it being multiplied? It's time to put it to use. See, Jesus has an expectation of increase. Burying what you have been given is not okay. See, God's heart is always about multiplication. Remember what God told Moses at the burning bush? When Moses was making all those excuses why he couldn't do it, he said, Moses, what is in your hand? What have I given you? Use it. No excuses. Don't wait for the perfect moment. The perfect moment is right now. God has entrusted you with something. He has put good gifts in your hands. No matter what they are, you know what they are. It's time to use them. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing upon another. Are you living from abundance or are you searching for abundance? There's a huge difference. From his abundance, you have received grace upon grace. You already have everything that you need. And you have to decide if you're going to live from grace or you're going to live for gluttony. There's no middle ground. You have abundance. Stop searching for it. You have grace upon grace. What is in your hand? 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Hello, he is able to bless you abundantly so that some of the time, no, all of the time, so that in some things, no, all things, having what? All that you need. Why? So that you will abound in every good work. Think about the biggest trial that you're facing in your life right now. The thing that weighs upon you the heaviest. You got it? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, you have more than enough to face that circumstance. You have everything you need right here, right now, in this moment. Hello? Remember Joseph? Joseph was his father's favorite, right? He had the coat of many colors. It's easy to live an abundant life when you're the favorite. You got the coat of many colors. Then what happened? Joseph's brothers one day throw him in a pit, tell his father that he's dead. They sell him as a slave to Egypt. But guess what? He's still thinking abundance. And Joseph goes to work for Potiphar. He's so successful that God blesses Potiphar's house because of Joseph. All right, back to abundance, right? Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. Joseph is wrongly accused. He's tossed in prison. But he's still thinking abundance. He's still looking abundance. What does he do? He becomes the best prisoner that Egypt has ever seen. He does. The jailer puts a prisoner, him, in charge of the prison. That's nuts because of his abundance attitude. And then the baker and the butler get thrown in prison. He interprets their dreams. He's still thinking abundance. The butler gets out. The baker gets killed. 
The butler forgets about Joseph. He's still rotting away in prison, but he's not rotting away. He's the best prisoner Egypt's ever seen. Abundance. And then, in God's timing, Pharaoh has the dream. The butler remembers, hey, there's that guy in prison. He brings him out of prison. He interprets the dream. Joseph becomes the second in command, saves nations, the world from famine, abundance, thinking. His life is like a seesaw, up and down and up and down. But one thing remained the same. Joseph fixed his eyes on the giver. He lived in abundance no matter what his circumstance. And God is able to bless you, what, abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, giving you all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Are you viewing your life in need or fully supplied? Abundance thinking says, I have more than enough for what I need to do today. My circumstances can move aside because my God has given you me all that I need. When I was uh, about 12, age 12 to 15, somewhere in there, we, uh, my family lived, had moved to literally the middle of nowhere in Canada. The closest town was about 20 minutes away from our house, and the name of the town was Rocky Mountain House. So you can imagine how small the town was. My mom was scared to drive to town in the winter because literally it was a 50-50 chance she was going to ditch every single time. No snow plows out there. No four-wheel drive vehicle. But we were about a mile away from the North Saskatchewan River, huge river in Canada. And my brother and I would often go hiking in Crown Land, it's government land, that stretched for miles and miles north of us. I should say kilometers and kilometers north of us. And we would go hiking there a lot, and, and because of the large river, there would be these smaller streams and rivers that would drain into the large river. And many times we would stumble across these guys, beavers, and their dams that they built. And it was incredible to see what one little family of beavers could do to a decent-sized river or stream. They'd choke it up completely, block it completely. That river that was trying to run to the big river, there's only a tiny trickle sometimes that went through because of the beaver dam. And unfortunately, while that's fascinating, unfortunately it's a picture of what many of us are doing to Jesus in our lives. He's sending this flood of grace into our lives but because of all this stuff and junk that we're holding on to, because our thinking is not correct, because our hearts are not correct, we are blocking the flow of his grace. And he wants that grace to flow in us and through us and to others around us. And we're blocking it. One last story in my salad of seven layers. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we find the prophet Elisha consoling a widow. Her husband had died, and, and uh, he had owed a lot of money. And this man that was owed the money uh, came to the widow and basically said, pay up or 
I'm going to take your two children in payment instead. So she, she was pretty distressed. I mean, imagine that situation. And I, I love this. She confronts Elisha the prophet with the problem, and he shifts her perspective. Watch this. Elisha says to her, tell me what you have in the house. Tell me what you have in the house. See, it's never about what you lack. It's always about what you already have. That's a word for somebody today. And she told him, she said, nothing in the house except this one little jar of oil. And Elisha said, okay, go around to all your neighbors. Get empty jars, as many as you can get. And then go in and shut the door with you and your sons and pour that one jar of oil into the empty containers. And so she went throughout the neighborhood, got all these empty jars, brings them back to the house, sets them out. They took the one jar of oil, poured it into the first empty jug, full. Next jug, full, 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 abundance thinking. The only problem was she didn't gather enough jars. Well, she did for her problem. But she could have got more. That's what I'm saying. See, the problem is not the oil supply. You're just not setting out enough containers. You are only lacking what you are not receiving. Church, it's time to set out some jars in your life. As many as you can. And capture every single drop of grace that your Father is raining down on you that is pouring into your life because you already have it. You just need to receive it. And it starts with your heart. It starts with your mind, your thoughts, choosing joy over jealousy, choosing to lift your eyes higher than your circumstance on the one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. And to see that river of grace, the abundance that God is pouring out in your life, that is flowing through, it's time to blow up that beaver dam. Get rid of it. Open everything up, your entire heart up to him. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Would you stand up? just take a moment and pray. Father, let this word sink into our hearts. We are only lacking what we're not receiving. You are only lacking what you're not receiving. I want to talk to two groups of people this morning. First group of people, those of you who may not have a relationship with Jesus. The greatest gift that you can receive this Christmas is the gift of Jesus and the abundance of his grace that he pours out in your life. There's a gift under your tree. It's the greatest gift ever, a gift that cost the Father absolutely everything, and your tree is stained with the blood that should have been yours. But instead of you, the Son, Jesus, left his throne, wrapped himself in human flesh, all because of you, to chase you down to redeem you, to restore your relationship with him. He took your punishment so that he could restore you to him. And his love has been chasing you down. You just need to open up your life and receive it. 
And all you need to do today is accept this gift. I'm begging you, if you haven't done that, maybe you've turned away from him. You need to come back to him. You need to just open your heart and your hands to him. There's no magic words. There's no special thing. You just need to turn and walk and follow the master, Jesus. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and eyes closed just to come forward in this moment. We have people up here that are going to pray with you. The Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart in this moment. If that's you, just move. Just come now. I'm going to ask the people that are, uh, that are praying with people just to come forward right now as well. Start walking. Faith starts with a step. Start walking. Start moving if that's you. Maybe you've, been, you've turned away from him for a while and it's time to come back. That's you. God's speaking to you right now. Don't delay what he's put in your heart right now. I want to talk to a second group of people as well. Some of you are feeling like you're about to collapse under the weight of something. Whatever you're facing, Jesus is bigger. But that thing that you're facing, you feel fear, not faith. It's weighing heavily on your heart. And today we're going to say to fear, it's time to run away, fear. You're messing with the wrong people, fear. Because this people, this group of people, we've got faith. This church, we've got faith. And we're going to say, and our God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. But sometimes you need to get your feet moving in order to activate your faith. And right now in this moment, if that's you, if you just need to come up here and worship Jesus alone at the front, there's nothing magic about the front, but it's about moving your feet. Sometimes Jesus tells you to move your feet. Get up here. Get up here now. You know you're supposed to be up here. Get up here now. I want to tell you that you have more than enough to face any circumstance that you're facing. You have everything you need right here, right now in this moment. It's time for you to get up, respond. The Holy Spirit is moving. Don't delay. Don't, don't. You've got to obey in this moment. I'm telling you, I'm coming down there right after I get talking. I need this just as much as anybody else. If we don't respond to God now, have we really been listening? Come on. Whatever you need, we've got people that can pray for you. If you just need a moment with Jesus while we sing this last song, whatever it is, get forward now. Sometimes it just takes your feet to move to activate some faith in your life. Jesus, we thank you that from your abundance, we have received one gracious blessing after another. We have received grace upon grace upon grace. And we claim that you are able to bless us abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, you will abound in us for every good work.